I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by gayabandon.etsy.com. This Australian shop features arm warmers, wrist warmers, necklace scarves, and other goods to keep you warm this winter. So if you're looking to warm up, head on over to gayabandon.etsy.com and check out the shop. Okay, so let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. This time I went to my <laughs> my collection of interviews and I actually had an interview that I am rather sheepish to admit this. I recorded a show last year. Yes, I know. It's ridiculous. But the interview is great. I recorded it right before I came out with the first issue of Craft Sanity Magazine and was a bit overwhelmed with everything that was going on and also still working on trying to figure out how I was going to fund my podcast and what I was going to do and it was kind of a crazy time and then this interview with Diane Morgan she's the author of Gifts Cooks Love Recipes for Giving it was perfect for the pre-holiday season and then the holiday passed and I had not aired the podcast and I just felt like oh boy it's going to seem a little weird to come out with this, you know, January 15th. So um, I kind of kept it in the stockpile and made contact with Diane recently. And she was totally cool with me getting this thing out, dusting it off and bringing it to you now. And the thing about it is it's a rather timeless interview in the sense that these holidays keep coming. Every year we're blessed to be on this great earth. We have another opportunity to celebrate holidays with family and friends. And And I don't know about you, but... I like to receive food gifts because you can eat them up and they're gone and you don't have to store them anywhere. And I also like the making of food gifts because I'm a crafty woman and I like to make things. And I think that for the last couple of years, I've really gotten more and more into making food type gifts. Diane has created this whole book that gives us ideas of what we can do, gifts we can make for the people in our lives because, you know, everybody eats and uh, you can kind of tailor the gift toward the tastes of the person that, you know, you're cooking, you're making this gift for. And these are really, she's really put together some things that people who cook will like. So uh, you kind of, in some cases, you're getting people started. Uh, You're giving them, kind of setting them up with like a kit that they can have all their ingredients and then they can make something. And then there's other gifts that are like the finished product. Uh, For instance, you know, vanilla extract. I mean, that's something that, you know, they don't have to do anything, you know, to create it. Uh, they just have to then pour it into whatever they decide to make. So, so yeah, so this is going to be a really fun episode because, like I said, I am really, I, I, I think I've just become super interested in cooking and baking and learning all I can in these areas because it's an area that I have not fully explored And just to give you a little background on Diane, she is an award-winning cookbook author. She also is a freelance food writer. She's done a lot of food writing. She's also taught cooking classes, and she's a restaurant consultant. She helps restaurants kind of set up their menus. She also has taught lots and lots of people how to write about food. So she has a really interesting, very broad base of experience that I think is I learned a lot from talking to her, and I'm excited for you to get to hear this interview. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention that Diane contributed a recipe to the very first issue of Craft Sanity magazine. You can test out one of her recipes from Gifts Cooks Love. It's the graham cracker recipe, and it is really good. They're cinnamon-coated graham crackers, and they are wonderful. And you can actually, she in her book, she shows you how to make your homemade s'mores, a pack. So you have uh, some chocolate that you can package with some homemade graham crackers and uh, marshmallows as well. And so we'll show you how to make the graham crackers right in Craft Sanity Magazine, issue one. That's available in a PDF download at craftsanity.com on the left-hand side. I also have a limited number of print copies available, too. So it's a way to preview Diane's recipe and then get addicted and want to check out the whole book because it's a fabulous book. So let's get to that chat with Diane. 
Diane, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the Craft Sanity podcast here. So this is very exciting for listeners to get to hear from someone who's a food expert. So I'm very excited to have you on the show. Well, it's delighted to be on, and I think food's pretty crafty, and food gifts are even craftier, so it fits. Oh, yeah. I mean, your book actually has a crafty section in the back to show people how to uh, put their crafty skills to use to package up their their gifts. So we'll get to that. We'll, we'll cover, we're going to talk about everything from food, the sustenance of life here, <laughs> to being crafty <laughs> when you present it to your very happy recipients of your holiday gifts. So let's start out, actually, with having you do a little introduction of who you are and what you do for a living. I am, first and foremost, a cookbook author, and I have been for over 25 years. Gifts, Cooks, Love is my 16th cookbook. Congratulations. Thank you. In addition to focusing on cookbooks, I write freelance articles, and I have been a restaurant consultant, which is very fun in the kind of menu development, recipe development um, side of things. And I teach cooking classes on occasion. And I teach a food writing course. And I've been doing that for the last seven years in Portland. And it's very exciting to mentor and help aspiring food writers. So do you have journalists coming through your program? Um, Sometimes I've had all sorts of people who... um, I've had lawyers and doctors, and I have a, um, there's a lawyer who has turned into a very successful, uh, I should say by day he's a, he's a, a judge, and by night he is a food writer. Oh, that's so, interesting. Uh, freelancer, yes. And I, there was a woman who had a very specialized blog on, on cheese, on Northwest Cheese, and that went from blog to book, and after she took my course. So there's just been quite a number. I have another cheesemaker who really wanted to focus on being able to write and write about and learn how to write recipes for making cheese. And he took my course and he was published in culture. So it's so rewarding to help these students and help them define their skills and refine their ideas and, and mentor them. I love that. I mean, that's my gift back to this wonderful food community is you know, sharing those the experiences I've had. How did you get started? Did you grow up in a family where, you know, with fantastic cooks, or did you become a food enthusiast and cook just on your own? I think I, I had to look back to realize what I had growing up because you don't understand the perspective until you sort of get move away. And, and so my mother was a perfectly fine cook and cooked from scratch. We really had family meals. You know, my father would come home from work and we would sit down as a family of five. I have two brothers and we would have a family meal. And that was the standard and the expected. And, you know, Friday night was or not. No, I guess Saturday night my parents would go out and we would have pizza night. You know, we could have pizza or sometimes we'd even have TV dinners. That was like a treat to like actually have, <laughs> you know, a turkey t- TV. I, I remember it so distinctly. You know, you'd have the little aluminum trays. and Right, right. And the little sections with turkey and gravy and, you know, and, and, but that's not what we normally had. So it was sort of a fun treat, but both of my grandmothers were amazing cooks. When I look back on it, my, my, they were both fabulous bakers and just my grandma, my one grandmother, my paternal grandmother lived in a, a a small apartment and what she turned out in that kitchen is breathtaking to me in terms of the kind of pastry she made and she pickled beets and all these things that were just sort of what she did. And I loved it all, but I don't think I appreciated what she was doing until much later. And the same was true for my, my maternal grandmother who was a fabulous cook and she would have, and my grandfather, uh, my maternal grandfather loved to, he had an incredible garden, loved to garden, loved to make things and they would host all the big family parties. So, so that was sort of more obvious to me with all of the homemade foods. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't really until I went away to college and the food was terrible, the dorm food was terrible, and <laughs> I got hungry for real food. And we would have like a fall break and, you know, a couple of the dorms had kitchens and 
you know, we'd take our backpacks and go up to the grocery store and buy some things and try to cook. And, you know, some of them were successful and some of them were kind of miserable tries at some of the foods my mother made or my grandmother's made. And so there was a, a little bit of that there with at least trying to cook. And the same thing when I look back, my father loved food. He grew up in Savannah. And so he loved all these foods that seafood and clams and oysters and, and mussels. And, and I remember we went to Nags Head, North Carolina for a summer vacation. And we went to this basement of this hotel that had this restaurant with just these plastic checkered tablecloths and you ordered a bucket of crab and you just sat there and picked apart these crab and and I love that and and so I look back on sort of the passion my dad had for eating even though you know he cooked in the sense of grilling but but not really doing a lot in the kitchen that was sort of for my mom but but eating out and trying new things was was huge for him. So it kind of came by osmosis, and 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 when I uh, and I took a summer job in a um, in a restaurant and had this amazing mentor, and it was a fixed price, fixed menu restaurant, and I didn't realize sort of right away what the possibilities were, and and this fellow John Conway was a it was a retirement project for him, and. He was a he was actually a friend of of James Beard's and and Jim Beard is the one who convinced him to start a restaurant as as his retirement project. So it was this magical time in which I was side by side in the kitchen with this wonderful mentor, and so it just grew from there. And I graduated from college with a uh, undergraduate degree in mathematics and ended up in Chicago for five and a half years and got connected into the food community there. Had another fabulous mentor named Alma Locke, who was the food editor of the Chicago um, Sun-Times and had a cooking school, and I was her assistant for five years. And that was it. That's what launched me and and sent me from being a, a cooking school teacher to translating that into the writing. Now, where, so, did, where did you go to college? I went to Reed College in Portland, so okay. I actually came out from Pittsburgh to Portland to go to school and then fell in love with Portland. And then ended up in Chicago. Yeah, for five and a half years, and then and then we moved back to Portland. And so it sounds like it, it really was, in a way, the family uh, history of just having great cooks in your family, but also realizing that right away when you got to the dorm situation, kind of, yeah, hmm, you know, something's you, missing you, here. Right. And I think when you grow up with good food and homemade food, that you get hungry for it. You mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, you, you don't know what you're missing until you taste all this bad food. And... <laughs> <laughs> so when did you started the writing, then it sounds like you were at the cooking school as an assistant. But then at what point did you start doing your writing? It was about three years after I moved back to Portland. I was teaching. I was a regular teacher at this well-known cooking school in Portland. And the students said to, there was there were five of us that were core teachers. And they were like, when are you going to write a book? When are you going to write a book? You ought to write a book. And, you know, we know how to cook, but we don't know how to put menus together. And how do you, and so we, there were five of us. And we decided to write a book. And we didn't know what we were doing, but. That's what we decided to do, and we started creating these menus for entertaining. What school were you teaching at at the time? Uh, was, at the time, it was called Kitchen Caboodle Cooking School. Okay. And it was in a suburb of Portland, and it was it was a really well-known school. A lot of, of well-known teachers from, you know, Jacques Pepin and Perla Myers and, and Barbara Trapp, all these people at the time would come through Portland and teach there. So it, it had this wonderful reputation, but we were the core teachers. We started working on a book and we tried to sell the project to a publisher and we were unknowns. And so we decided to self-publish and we ended up self-publishing our first book and it was very successful. And we went on to self-publish a second book and all of a sudden we were writers and and then we got an agent in New York and had a track record and got a publisher because there's all sorts of aspects of self-publishing that such as 
you know, marketing and advertising and shipping that were really not something we wanted to do. And so did you continue to publish with the group from the school for a while? Um, we did, the, the group sort of dwindled down. The first book, there were five of us. The f- second book, there were four because one person moved away. Um, and then another person decided to retire. And there were three of us on the next book. And then that, they were a couple and they ended up moving to California. And so it just became, well, okay, I have ideas and I'm going to work on this on my own. So that's what happened. And I'm the only one of the original group that has made a career in the with food writing. And it's interesting, too, that you started just a lot of people, if they can't get a publisher, they just give up and they don't try to publish on their own. And it sounds like for you, you guys were very successful and that really paved the way. And it's so different now. I mean, this was all before online publishing and Facebook and I mean none of that was around. Oh, it was Everything. much harder to self-publish back then for sure. Yeah. Definitely. And in so so all of the traditional vehicle, all the traditional channels for getting the word out was all print publication, radio, um, TV and you didn't have all the social media that's um, let alone the print on demand that's available today. So, you know, when we did our first book, we printed 15,000 copies and there were divided among us, you know, we each had about 5,000 copies in our garage and, you know, trying to get those out the door and to customers. So it was a very different game than it is now. And that's a pretty big risk too. I mean, to print, that's a lot of books to print. And so yeah. you guys were pretty, um, pretty confident must've been, um, to, to do that confident kind of Confident a... or crazy. I think it's that young stage where you, you just decide to do something because it makes so much sense and yeah. you, you don't know enough to be, um, scared. You just yeah. know enough to decide that this is what I really want to do. And yeah. that's how a lot of great projects happen. And I'm, thrilled that we risked in a time where we really didn't know. Yeah. Well, how old were you at the time when you did that first book? I was 30. Did you guys like put ads in in other food publications to to get the word out about your cookbook? We just did a lot of kind of old fashioned press release sort of too. And we had some lucky breaks. We, the first book got nominated for um, an award and that became newsworthy because we were the only self-published book that had ever been nominated. Wow. So we we got some great press, um, just complete serendipity. So some of it is just dumb luck. You know, I, I can't say that if I, if I could tell you, wow, we had this whole formula, I would tell you that, <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> well, you're a mathematician, so I kind of wondered about that. No, I'm just yeah, there was, you know, <laughs> if, if I had done statistics, we wouldn't have done that. <laughs> That's <so>. true. <laughs> That's true. That's one of those things where you have to kind of turn a blind eye to um, logical thought sometimes. So it sounds like it, it worked out very well for you. But how important was it, do you think, to just really master the cooking skills before you came out with a book? Oh, it was it was very important. I mean, but you didn't if you're open to learning, you can master as you go. And you can become a master through a project. Mm-hmm. If you if you have the the basics to get creative in a new realm. And I I did a book all on salmon, and I wasn't an expert in salmon when I started the book. But I became an expert in salmon in the course of writing the book and and creating 75 recipes for the book. So I think it's a matter of having the basic skills to be able to translate those skills. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true in lots of art forms. You know, if you you paint in one medium and you want to explore another, you have these fundamentals that you understand that allow you to translate those skills and to get creative in another arena and that's true in cooking when you when you master some basic skills and you are willing to study you know everything is sort of well I don't really understand that technique so let me figure out how to do that and is it applicable to working with salmon Hmm, interesting maybe it is and so um, that's the kind of thing that you just work towards um, and then you take it into another realm 
Did you continue teaching throughout the time that you were writing books? Was this just kind of a simultaneous thing? Oh, I've always thing? tried to complement the two, you know, and it's pretty typical when you, for me, when I publish a book that I get out and, and I travel and I teach cooking classes around the country. And so it just depends on kind of the book as to what makes sense. I mean, I was... I've done two Thanksgiving books, and I've been on the road a lot teaching Thanksgiving classes with those. This will be the first year, actually, that I don't have any Thanksgiving classes. But the year the my first Thanksgiving book came out, I think I roasted about 500 pounds of turkey before Thanksgiving every <laughs> rolled around because I was teaching so many classes. So, um, you know, it, it, they complement one another. Plus, I get to hear from my readers. And I get to hear from students questions that seem obvious to me that aren't obvious to them. And that's really important, you know, that you understand what people don't know. What have you noticed happening just in your career? How how are things different? And do you notice that more people are looking to kind of reclaim like an interest in cooking meals and actually sitting down as a family and having that time where the meal means more than just, you know, people standing or grabbing food going out the door? Well, I think the biggest trend line is the farm-to-table, the, the, the people shopping at farmer's markets, people looking towards, um, you know, the CSA boxes, and really taking an interest in the quality of the food they eat. Um, I think there's, you know, there's this huge gap in this country. It's almost the red and blue states uh, image of where we are with our food culture. There's, there's as much fast food as there's ever been, and yet there's this real push from to farm to table. And so you have this amazing split on both sides of, of the food scene. And But I, I keep seeing this growth, this interest in really doing fundamental cooking again, whether it's baking bread, whether it's using whole grains, whether it's canning um, and preserving, it's it's just coming back. And you see it in the books that are being released. I'm sitting with a book on my desk called the Blue Chair Jam Cookbook. Huge, big book that, that there's a, a, a person who started jam company in the Bay Area who's written a whole book on it. And so there's this just resurgence back into the kitchen that's it's family meals but it's project focused Mm -hmm. and I think that's where my new book Gifts Cooks Love with making food gifts comes into play that people like this idea of projects and they're they're willing to get into the kitchen to play and see what's seasonal understand what's seasonal and then focus on that so it's it is about family meals but it's it's broader it's these project-oriented interest, whether it's beer. You know, there's a lot of people who are doing craft beers or cheese making. I I have quite a few people who make their own cheese, and it's those kind of projects that are – and charcuterie. Um, I just read about in Portland that, you know, there was this whole class on butchery. So it's all this sort of back to the basic techniques in very fundamental ways. Do you think that has something to do with people wanting to feel more self-sufficient so they can actually make something? Because you know, we have so many. You walk in through a grocery store, and there's so much like packaged. Basically, you can take something out of a box, unwrap some plastic, <laughs> pop it in a microwave, and like you know, 20 seconds later, you have this steaming meal that's supposedly balanced. You know, But it, who knows what's in it to make it last on a shelf for a while. Do you think people are just trying to feel like, this kind of a sense of ownership in their kitchens again? Absolutely. And I think it's the backlash to all the highly processed foods. I just came back from 10 days in France, and my daughter's living over there for the next nine months. She's teaching English to French primary students. And just to go in the grocery store is amazing because they're little markets and there really are boulangeries on, you know, just about every other block and, and people leave work and they stop at the boulangerie and they pick up a baguette and it's under their arm and they're walking home from work. And these are, these are sort of what you think are quaint, but this is actually what they do. And the, the grocery store that we went in did not have 
a mile-long aisle of cereal and packaged chips. In fact, my daughter asked for us to get her a little container of pretzels, and honest to goodness, it was hard to find. And so it's just such a different mindset because they're really, they do go to the butcher and and the baker. Um, they're separate entities completely. Well, and they're shopping pretty much every day. Isn't that the way it works right. over there? Where we yeah. we have these, you know, like the big giant superstores where you go and you buy like 20,000 pounds of whatever and stash right. it away. It's just such a different, you know, where people try to like shop once a week or once every two weeks here where over there, you know, people are eating fresher food because they're shopping every day. Right, right. And, you know, we went to buy some um, aged goat cheese. It's sitting unwrapped on this counter, and you go over and you pick up cheese paper, and you pick up a loaf, and you wrap it, and you put it on the scale, and you take it up to the register. You know, it's not all this stuff in plastic. Right. Over here, you would never see that. Yeah. You would never see that. And you wouldn't, you know, and you don't see the packaged fake cheese. And so it's just such a different mindset. It's fabulous. Well, and for you as a cook, that must be like heaven to be over there to see all this. Oh, it was it was great. I mean, I know that you know not everyone loves going into a grocery store on vacation, but I do. What is the first thing that you recommend to people that really want to get into cooking? What should we study first? Mastering some soup is a great way to get started because it's a one pot meal, Mm -hmm. and that applies sort of broadly to to soups and stews. But for instance. Okay, so I had my luscious pâtés and terrines and, you know, big meals in France. And I came back and I wanted a bit of a detox. Um, (laughs) And I have this really chunky vegetable soup that I make. And I featured it in my book, The Christmas Table. I have it on my website. And I call it my detox vegetable soup. And it is so simple to make. It's just really a matter of of chopping a lot of vegetables. And it makes this fabulous one-pot meal. And there's all sorts of variations you can play. So if you can take this basic recipe Mm -hmm. and then tweak it according to what you like or what's in season, you have this hearty meal. And I made a big pot of it on Saturday. We went to the farmer's market first thing, came back. I didn't even put any of the vegetables in the refrigerator. I just immediately started chopping and got out my soup pot. And I purposely made a big pot because I wanted the, I love it enough that I wanted it for quite a few nights and even to put some in the freezer. And so it's, it's a great way to be able to satisfy, you know, a family or a couple or even being single and having kind of, you know, making soup on the weekend and having it for several nights mm-hmm. um, and it's and it's healthy and so soups are great that way and you can go from whether you know you're making a some kind of a meat-based soup you know whether it's a beef and barley to a you know a classic chicken noodle soup to a big hearty vegetable soup um it just gives you a lot of options for building some skills and understanding how to build elements of flavor. So, for instance, in some recipes, you might put a little bit of butter and oil into the bottom of the pan and sweat the the onions and the carrots and the celery to, to start building the flavor. And in other ones, you might put onions into the pot and add some dry spices in and cook the spices um, so that you start building that flavor from the beginning and then mm-hmm. you add in the rest of it or you brown meat um, and then take that out and then, you know, add in the onions and, and vegetables and then add the meat back in. So lots of different ways, but you you are fundamentally building flavor from um, the time you, you turn the heat under the the pot. And so it's a I think it's a great way to begin because it fundamentally gets food on the table. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also nice to know, too, if you know you have soup in the refrigerator that you made last night and you're in a pinch and the kids are screaming, yeah. you can just rush home and know you have something you can heat up quickly and feed your children as opposed to going through a drive through and thinking that's your only option. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Being able to make a big pot of something on the weekend and ha- and be able to have that as your go-to option just because we're all busy. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of our biggest mm-hmm. excuses for why many of us don't cook as much as we want to is because, you know, we're like, oh, I'm so busy, blah, blah, blah. But clearly with a little planning ahead, we can actually be eating some really fantastic meals that we've already prepared, you know, on a day right. when we have more time. So Right. And I think, well, I think the other is for, I think grilling is a great skill to build because, I know when my children were in middle school and high school and we had, you know, soccer practice and soccer games and they'd come home and they were starving and I had about 20 minutes to get food on the table before they were into the chips and salsa. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't just fire up the grill and I could take lean proteins and get them going and put some vegetables on the grill and have a meal. And that was another way for me of really turning out something quick. And I actually wrote a whole book about it called Grill Every Day. And and so it's that same kind of thing. If you build a skill like that, something fundamental like learning how to grill, you allow yourself to just then have this whole repertoire in front of you because you've built you've built a technique, you've built a skill. It's no different than in the crafting world of learning to sew. You know, I I took sewing in high school when it, back when it was offered and learned how to sew. And then you get you it leads you into all sorts of different projects that are anything from you know clothes to actual craft things to stuffed animals to whatever. And it's that same kind of thing. You you turn a basic skill into a craft, and you're doing that with food. Yeah, and I think the soups now, I want to go make soup now that you've talked about this. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just wonderful. Well, I, I I think now we've kind of wound our way, and I can I can tell that based on your life experiences, as you have to, you know, you had to figure out a way to quickly get food on the table for your children. Did you write that book right about the same time after you uh, needed to, you were kind of living that way? Well, I, yes. When I wrote Grill Every Day, I actually was, that's what I was doing. That's where I realized I could, I could turn to the grill. Um, you know, I could throw something into marinade in the morning if I needed to. Not everything was a was a marinade. There were lots of things that I'd just throw a dry rub on, or I'd create dry rubs. But I would, I would turn to that technique because it was so fast, and my kids loved it. And you know, my kids would eat vegetables that I had grilled rather than vegetables that I had steamed because they had more flavor. You know, I can remember they would pick up asparagus spears because, you know, they had these light char marks and were crisp, but, you know, still tender. And they felt like, you know, it was a bigger flavor boost than just eating a steamed spear of asparagus. And so it gave me the options of being able to have more foods in front of me. And I'm, I'm curious now, how many children do you have? I have two. Okay. So, and they're, um, they're young adults. My daughter is 24, graduate, just graduated from college in May, and she's living over in France this year. And my son is 26, and he lives in Brooklyn, and he's um, trying to make it in the film world. So they're both out on their own, and they call me from time to time, panic with cooking questions, and to, <laughs> yeah. to answer them. But I'm so, assuming that they're pretty adept in the kitchen, just growing up, learning from you. Do they both like to cook? They do, but they, you know, they didn't, because I was in the kitchen so much, they just had food available to them, and my daughter just had this... Um, determined streak that she wanted to try things on her own. So instead of starting with a batch of brownies that most kids might start with, you know, she decided to start with a three-layer chocolate cake and (laughs) decides to call me when I'm, you know, running errands to tell me to bring home seedless raspberry jam um, (laughs) because, and who knows, you know, she had picked up one of my, you know, all chocolate dessert books and found some 
three-layer cake that was complicated to make, but that's what she was going to do, and she had never made brownies. So <laughs> that was her. And, you know, and I remember my son wanting to make dinner for his girlfriend and called me at 3 in the afternoon his time saying he was about to go to the grocery store and, oh, by the way, he wanted to make a pie. And I'm oh. like, forget the pie. Like, <laughs> let's work on, you know, strawberries. And um, I think I had him doing strawberries dipped in chocolate because I said, you have no time to make a pie. It's three in the afternoon. Right. So, what time was dinner supposed to be? Oh, dinner was going to be at eight, you know, and yeah. he hadn't even gone to the store. So, <laughs> and he called me with 10 questions. So they they get it, but you know, they're still building skills too. And they right. either of them had kitchens that were stocked enough to really, you know, really turn out. I mean, my son didn't even have a rolling pin. I don't know quite what he was thinking about with a pie, but you know. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about um, Gifts Cooks Love, your most recent book. Were you hired by a company to do this book? Sur La Table is a, is a chain of, of cookware stores that were started in Seattle. And I have had a relationship with them for a long time because I used to travel and teach at their cooking schools. I see. So they wanted to do a book on food gifts, and they contacted me to be the writer for the book and said, okay, so give us ideas of food gifts. So it was an open slate other than the topic. Okay. And so I created all the content and all the – and kind of – went back to them with, you know, 60-some ideas for different food gifts that I might want to make and and receive and put them into some orderly sections in chapters. And then we whittled down to 40 what those 40 food gifts should be and how they were balanced between, you know, complicated projects to simple projects to no-cook projects to drinks. Your book does successfully appeal to me as someone who does not consider myself an expert um, in the kitchen at all, but but your more complicated projects also, I think, would be challenging for those who know their way around a kitchen and make great meals, just to kind of give everyone some great ideas. I mean, because obviously some of these things, you have the homemade, let's see, where people can actually make some pasta, or not pasta, what are these? Uh, see, this is where my rookie uh, tendencies here are going to show, because you have actually a dish, yeah, the pasta kit. Right. With, with the, everything from the dried mushrooms and that. And I mean, obviously this isn't like so challenging that you could never do it if you're a novice, but um, you break it down so well and you make it, it's, the presentation is wonderful. You know, to be able to present that to somebody would be really awesome. And that's the crafty part. That's the part where you say, you know, maybe at your farmer's market, there's a mushroom forager and that they're selling mushrooms. And it's a perfect opportunity to dry mushrooms and to be able to give those as gifts and, you know, make a great risotto or a great pasta dish. Um, But there's something that... You know, if you love projects, you can make your own homemade garganelli, which is this tubular pasta. And it's great fun. It's a great project with kids or a group of friends. You know, sometimes you want to just have a gab fest with girlfriends who love to get together and do a project. and Or guys, you know, it doesn't have to be gender specific. Right. And and you get together because you want to do this fun cooking project and something like you know making pasta and rolling these these tubes of garganelli is great fun and so there's something like that in the book that it's totally different versus making biscotti or or making these blackberry merlot jellies or making marshmallows making your own marshmallows and i did those and that would be a terrific mom can make the marshmallows and the kids can be the ones that dip them into toasted coconut and and coat the outsides with them. I mean, great fun. And they feel a part of the of the cooking project and the giving. Is there anything, any pitfalls, though, for people that maybe are just starting out on this path? Maybe they're a kind of a foodie in training and a cook in training, and uh, they're not maybe the most confident in the kitchen. Uh, any recommendations? So people, because obviously you don't want to give someone a gift, uh, even with the best cookbook in front of you, if you're not paying attention and you make a mistake, uh, things can go awry. And if it's, a, you know, sweaters that are too small can be taken back and exchanged. But if you goof up the pasta kit or you, you know, you you, the, you're, um, you have a really great um, onion soup. Oh, no, that's fun. And I was going to mention another 
project as well. Okay, so if you if you have a slow cooker, um, I had this idea of um, I didn't really know what I was. I knew what I the outcome I wanted. I wasn't quite sure how to how to get to the outcome. But French onion soup is you know these luscious caramelized onions that take a long time to cook, and then you know they're they're covered with broth and and a, a toasted bread and then broiled with with um, a bubbly cheese topping. And I thought, so what if as a food gift you had a slow cooker and you dumped a bunch of onions in a slow cooker with butter and some minced fresh thyme, and you just cooked it for eight hours. What would happen? And, you know, or six hours. I was kind of monitoring it. And you end up with these gorgeous caramelized onions, and you pack them into a jar, and the recipe I give you, the quantities, for how to produce French onion soup for four people. And what a great gift to take to somebody's ski cabin or you know, or just a weekend away where someone is hosting you. Um, and so it's a no-brainer in terms of, uh, I mean, it requires a slow cooker, but it's a no-brainer in terms of that you put it in the pot and you walk away for eight hours. <laughs> right, right. And you well, come back and people what? can handle that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, voila. But another food gift in the book that is absolutely for someone who doesn't know how to cook is making your own homemade vanilla extract. So you buy seven to eight ounce bottles, preferably clear glass bottles with a tight fitting lid or a little lock top kind of hinge top lid. You buy yourself a, you know, a big bottle of vodka and a little bit of dark rum and you buy fresh vanilla beans. And, you know, I would urge your listeners to order them online because you can buy them for a lot less money and they're fresher. And you buy plump vanilla beans and you take a paring knife and a cutting board and you slit the vanilla bean down the center but not all the way through so that the little pods um, are exposed and you pack three vanilla beans into one of these glass bottles and you put in a teaspoon of rum, dark rum, and you fill the rest with vodka and you close it up, put a label on it, and in seven months you have fabulous vanilla extract. And how long is that good for after it's ready to use? Forever. In okay. I mean, vanilla extract just doesn't go bad. It's pure alcohol with the vanilla. And so um, it's called seven-month vanilla extract. And you can either make it now and, you know, give, give it, it at the holiday times with a little label that says this will be ready to use and you know, what are two and a, you know, in like four months. Yeah, tell people when to use it, yeah. And tell people when to use it. And that's all in the book. I mean, I give the sort of, you know, I even explain how to do a gift card and what to say. And so that's a complete non-cook's gift. Right, and, so and are hard the, to screw up. Yeah, you really can't okay. goof that Almost up. Almost impossible to screw up. Right, I mean, right. So where do you get your inspiration when you come up with these things? Because uh, you said you had like 60 ideas that you narrow, narrow down to 40. Where does it come from? I I can't always explain it. Um, I was I was joking to someone. You know, I take long showers. That I get inspired in the shower. Um, I just let my mind wander. I think I I sometimes, for instance, I mean, with this book, that I looked for things that were things that we we tend to to buy without thinking. And like, what is it really like to make them homemade? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can my own tuna, which is a a big project, you know, it's, it's, a, it's for someone who really, who has access to fresh albacore tuna and, um, and also likes to can, to pressure can. It's a fabulous project. And then you taste homemade tuna against the stuff you get out of a can and there's no comparison. It's like you're eating cat food compared to um, <laughs> this amazing um, freshly canned tuna. And the same was true with the graham crackers. I mean, once I made them, I was like, why would anyone buy the graham crackers in the blue box uh, at the grocery store? They don't, they don't even resemble what a real homemade graham cracker tastes like. And so it's, it's, and it's just, it was the same thing with making my own homemade mustard. I never made mustard before, but I had this wild idea to make mustard. And it was like, well, how do you do it? And I researched how to do it. And, and it was really fun. And 
or the same thing with ketchup. Like we just buy ketchup in a bottle or whatever right. we make our own. And, and what does that taste like? And wow, it's amazing. So it sort of became this, what do we just take as fundamentals that we buy that all of a sudden we can make from scratch and, turn them you know and that they become fun projects let's talk a little bit about packaging my favorite thing in the book of you using a dried mushroom as a little adornment for the outside of a jar i think that's really beautiful but you're also Mm -hmm. writing it looks like are you writing with sharpies on wooden spoons as well uh oh yeah it was like all over the place in terms of sort of getting creative with and crafty with the packaging and doing unexpected things I, instead of just going to a craft store, which of course I went to, um, and a place like Sur La Table to look for bottles and jars and whatnot. And, but that's the sort of thing you can also look, um, not if you're canning, because canning, you have to be very careful about the kind of jars and lids. Right, but, of course. But some packaging that doesn't require canning, you know, you can find things at garage sales and, and, and estate sales and, um, and especially for something like the mustard that gets refrigerated. You know, it's fun to come up with unexpected jars and little containers to put them in or crocks. And and so I would go to, I would just sort of look in hardware stores for, um, for kind of, you know, cording and, and, and materials that were potentially used for something else and, and just get inspired by, something that looked utilitarian but actually played out as as a as a way to package. I found some some of this um two-tone colored string that that I think is used for um surveying when they're trying to like you know plumb a line and mm-hmm. they use different colors. I'm like this is so cool and and I ended up cuz I make homemade bacon in the book and you know tying the the bacon with butcher paper and and this and this twine, and, and it's just fun. And so it's sort of just, you know, and I'm sure for all the craft people, it's that same kind of thing. It's like you're looking at materials in a different way. And it's um, a whole lot of fun to do that. It really mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, maybe it's taking, a, you know, some metal tin and, and lining it with a cloth to turn that into, you know, a little gift basket instead of just getting a little wicker basket. It's totally just changing up what is expected, but also something that fits the gift. You know, if 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 you're going to do a barbecue spice rub, you know, maybe package it with a tool or, you know, cedar planks that you might grill on to just come up with an unexpected plan for for how the gift should be packaged. You know, I know for a lot of us crafters, you know, if we're knitting and crocheting and sewing presents for Christmas, we often sometimes find ourselves that we're giving these gifts and then people sometimes say, oh, well, I'm not going to give Jennifer something that's like knitted because she knits all the time. So, I'm, you know, it's pe- do people cook for you or do they assume because you cook that you, they don't need to cook for you? Well, I have chef friends that will, that have given me food gifts that, are extraordinary and really fun. And so I have this, this one chef friend and at Christmas time, they've given me four duck eggs with a little organ truffle. Oh, wow. That perfumes the eggs and, and, you know, you fry these duck eggs and they're amazing. And, but they've been infused, they've been perfumed with this truffle and then you shave some of the truffle over the top. It's an extraordinary gift. Oh, wow, yeah. And I'm very appreciative because it's not, they have access to these ingredients that I don't. Right, you know, right. And they have foragers who are knocking on the back door of the restaurant, and I don't. And so it's such a treat. And they have a farmer that's providing duck eggs to them, and, and I don't. So I'm the beneficiary of this cute little basket, um, and I love that. And so, and then, you know, the reason there's bacon in the book is because I had been given some bacon and went, oh my gosh, this is like nothing I've ever had. And how do I do this? And wow, can I use your recipe in the book? And voila, you have, you make your own bacon. So, you know, in that way, I have been given food gifts, but it's usually from chef friends. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think people need to know, the the cooks at home need to know? I think is a kind of double back that um, on my website, diamorgancooks.com, 
I actually have videos and some of the food gifts you can see me making in my kitchen. And so kind of as a double back to all the descriptions and all the, you know, the recipes in the book, you'd have the opportunity to see me actually cooking in the kitchen. Um, so it would kind of enhance the experience. I mean, obviously, I didn't do all the recipes in the book, but but I've picked a few that I'm focusing on that would be fun. And so, like, I have these roasted white chocolate dipped apples, and I, I did that as a video on my website. So it's fun to, you know, see the first hand. Oh, yeah, and I think it takes some of the mystery out of it. So exactly. So there's no... no... Nothing left to interpretation. Like you can just watch and learn and then do it yourself. Do you recommend that if you're going to give this as a gift, do you recommend that just as a good practice, people should maybe practice ahead of time? I think sometimes people think, oh, that's really simple. And they (laughs) maybe don't leave themselves enough time should things go awry and suddenly there isn't time to make a second batch. I mean, do you recommend that people kind of maybe make some of these things uh, once or twice before they try to just make the final version for the gift? Well, I would like to think that, you know, I have given detailed enough instructions that you won't blow it. Um, <laughs> but I think that depends on how confident the cook is. You know, if you're okay. more comfortable, if you want to make the smoked tomato ketchup and you feel like, wow, maybe I should just make a batch of this to, to make sure I have this right, you know, then go ahead and do it. And if it works for you and, you know, as it should the first time, then you're done and because it keeps. But if something happens and you walk away from the stove and somehow the onions get burned at the bottom of the pan, then, you know, you you aren't panicked for, oh, my goodness, I was planning to give those tomorrow as a gift. Um, <laughs> right, right. So I, I think that really is depends on the cook. You know, I mean, I mean if you gave me if you gave me knitting needles and, and yarn and said, oh, well, here's the directions to make a sweater, you know, it'd probably have a lot of big loops and little loops, um, <laughs> you know, the first time I did it. Um, right, and that's right. the, you know, that's just the experimenting stage. But there's plenty of things in the book. You just can't screw up. Vanilla, oh, you, yeah. you can't screw yeah. up. If, if, it, if, you're, if you're really feeling nervous, go with the vanilla. Yeah, or, the, or any of the spice rubs or the popcorn seasoning mix that, that you can't screw up. You know, it's, it's really a matter of just mixing dry spices and coming up with a great rub. But, you know, if you want to make the biscotti Christmas tree, you know, that's a little more involved and a pretty fun project and takes some time, if you really study it first, I think you'll you'll master it the first time. But read the recipes through and make right. sure you have everything and understand the timing so that you you aren't flustered. See, so wasn't that great? I really think Diane has some great ideas and tips. And her book is fantastic. It's not too late to add it to your Christmas list. Gifts, Cooks, Love, Recipes for Giving is available widely in bookstores. So visit your local bookstore and look for it. And you can expect a new book from Diane. She's got another one coming out next year. So we'll have something else to look forward to. Yeah, so this the interview, even though I had it in the hopper for a while and I've been itching to release it for a long time, I hope you thought it was worth the, the wait. The cool thing is food gifts are appropriate, whether it's a housewarming present or a birthday, and really any occasion, especially for people that tend to have everything. Like We get to a certain point where we have a lot and we don't really need more stuff, but we always need food. We have to eat every day. So this is a great book, and I know I have a bunch of onions downstairs waiting to be loaded into the crock pot to whip up some French onion soup. So, um, And I'm going to be using Diane's recipe for that. So I'm very excited. And then if you want more information, and she mentioned the videos and that you can find and recipes and so forth, you can learn a whole lot more about Diane and her work over at dianemorgancooks.com. So I hope you check that out. And I will also post information at craftsanity.com. I'll also be linking to the episode sponsor for this show, uh, Gay Abandon, over in Australia. Gay and her friend Melanie team up to make body parts winter accessories that range from arm warmers and wrist warmers to necklace scarves, midriff warmers, and more. And all these, these products are made using repurposed fabrics and they embellish them and you know decorate them so you can pick something that fits your style and just warm up. I know it just snowed here actually today here in West Michigan. We just got a little bit of a little dusting of snow. Not sure if it's going to stick around for the, the the weekend holidays or not, but 
yeah, it's starting to feel more like winter here. And I don't know about you, I don't like to be cold. So if you don't like to be cold either, head over to gayabandoned.etsy.com and check out the accessories that they have available. Thank you so much to Gay for sponsoring the show. I really appreciate it. And I also want to thank, I've been really fortunate because every time I contemplate thinking, geez, you know, I, I don't know if I can keep this show going. It's a lot of work to do, blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is I love doing it. So I'm going to find a way to keep it going. I'm just going to kind of keep doing my thing, keep walking along this path. Because every time, it's just almost ridiculous. You know, every time I, I start to doubt that I can do it, people come out of nowhere and just and start walking alongside me. You know, and it's almost like they can tell. Like she might be going through one of those moments of where she might not think she can do it. I have donors that have contributed to make this episode possible and giving the momentum to continue with the next few that I have already recorded and I want to I just I really want to thank from the bottom of my heart Angie in Grand Rapids, Jewel in Atlanta, Georgia and Sally in Bloomington, Indiana uh, just for sending in donations and helping to support what I do. Uh, anytime I get a donation I, I'm you know, it's kind of like surprising because I'm thinking wow you know these people are I don't know these people and they're so kind and uh, I really appreciate it because I run this thing on a shoestring and thank you so much to all three of you folks and everybody else that has sent uh, kind emails, left kind comments on my blog. Uh, I really appreciate all that, and it does give me momentum. And I really have just kind of resolved to continue podcasting. Uh, NPR has not called. Uh, I don't know what the deal is. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, I don't, I don't have the time to, to make this high broadcast quality uh, if I was getting paid and, you know, had a studio to work in, perhaps that would be the case. But I'm happy to do what I'm doing, you know, as I am. So, yeah, so we're going to continue on this path. And uh, thanks to all of you who have bought your copies of Craft Sanity Magazine, Issue 5. The winter issue is out, and sounds like you guys are enjoying it. I've heard some good things about it. I'm very proud of the group of contributors that I have for this magazine. I mean, it's ever, it's so fun, every issue to work with. Uh, a new group of contributors and talented artists and crafters. And uh, I'm working on spring and summer now. So if any of you are interested in advertising or just contributing in a project, uh, email jennifer at craftsanity.com and we'll see if we can hatch a plan to work together next for the next issue. So feel free to head over to craftsanity.com and leave me some feedback. Let me know who you'd like to hear from in 2012 and I'll see what I can do about lining up some interviews. And I just want to wish you a happy holiday season. And uh, I, I may be back with another episode or two uh, over the holiday break, but we'll see what I can do. So if I don't talk to you again before the holidays, I just want to wish you well and say happy holidays to all of you. Uh, I hope you get a break. Don't work too hard on those holiday gifts. I know I'm going to be crafting up a storm this next uh, several days, but I always have to kind of hold myself in check a little bit and be like, okay, don't go on a suicide mission here because we want to be awake enough to actually enjoy the holidays so uh, don't blow out your wrist trying to crochet 50 hats the night before I've tried crazy stuff like that and it never <laughs> seems to feel so good the next day the holiday craft hangovers are the worst you know but anyway um, if you do end up with one this year I feel your pain and uh, I hope that doesn't happen to me but I really can't promise you anything so I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Okay, so I have a lot of stuff I got to do, and I know you're busy too, so I'm going to try to talk fast and keep this short. But I did want to share with you, I know I was pretty stressed in my after show for the last episode because I was not sure whether or not my husband would have any kind of employment after the new year. And it looks like uh, we are going to stay in Grand Rapids, and he is going to have a job still with the newspaper. So that's a relief that, for the meantime, there's some, uh, you know, health insurance. And uh, I have received no word from the newspaper about my the future of my column. So I'm assuming I'm going on that initial termination letter <laughs> that was pretty clear that uh, – my services will no longer be needed after January 31st or I think February 1st at midnight or something. I'm thinking there should be like some kind of significant event at F February 1st at midnight, like 
maybe like a late night craft party or something. I don't know. If any of you are in town, let me know if you have ideas and maybe we can go do something at that point. Non-destructive, non-violent, and it has to be legal. That's my criteria. But anyway, um, yeah, so no one has reached out to me, so I, I, I don't really have any, yeah, I'm not holding my breath that the, the column would continue. The honest truth is I love writing it so much that yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I would probably cave in and continue if I had the chance to do that. But I'm going to just kind of leave that up to the universe. We'll see how that shakes out because I do have plenty of things to keep me busy should that, you know, door close permanent. You know, it's kind of like maybe open a crack right now. I haven't put my foot in. I haven't tried to weasel my way back in because I'm not sure that that's really what I'm supposed to do next. So I'm kind of in that point where you're just kind of like I – I'm just kind of like listening carefully for a sign and looking have my eyes peeled for any kind of sign about what direction I'm supposed to take next and making a list of some fun projects that I want to do so I am going to be super busy yeah I'm trying I'm still working really hard on trying to figure out a plan to stay with a fitness plan throughout the whole cycle of production for the magazine because every time I, I'm in like the height of it, like right before deadline, I'm so exhausted that I'm not able to actually run. I'm barely able to hold my head up, let alone run. So I have to work on the time management component during the three weeks when it's really intense with the magazine. So, um, yeah, that's I just have to really flat out organize my life in 2012. And actually, I'm going to get started with that right now, actually, because now that I know we're staying in this house... Uh, and I won't be, like, just painting it up and making it real pretty for somebody else, which is kind of maddening, you know. Think about that. A lot of us don't really put the effort into making our houses look really fantastic until we're trying to convince someone else to buy them from us. And that just seems crazy, you know, when you think about that. You're like, geez, why don't we just make it look cool and live in it? And I know plenty of you do, and I, I salute you. I was always in a rush, you know, moving in one weekend and then hurrying, rushing back to work and just – making do with the status quo and um but I think I'm gonna try to you know I want to get things um I want to enjoy this place you know while I'm have the time to live in it so so yes yeah, so if you're looking around your room and you see big piles of clutter or walls the color a color you can't stand maybe think about saving up some money for a while and treating yourself to a new color in your kitchen or just having the benefit of walking across your your studio space or your office without tripping over things uh, it does stifle creativity like you wouldn't believe to have messes and you know I've always been saying to myself well, I'm just so busy I just don't have time and it's like well part of the reason that I don't have time is because I can't find stuff a lot of the time and I'm just getting really fed up with that I'm headed downstairs to kind of uh, get started with uh, well kind of continue with the holiday preparations and see what I can accomplish in the next week you know how many how many gifts can I make and I, how to avoid staying out of the, the shopping malls I really don't like mall shopping so much independent little boutiques are are cool but I'm not really into the whole elbowing my way through the big box stores and all that stuff and I mean there may be, there may be some things I have to go in there for but I'm trying really hard to to make as much as I can this year we'll see how much you know how that goes and how many last-minute gifts I have to buy because I don't have time to make everything. But anyway, well, I hope you guys are having a great time decorating for the holidays and cooking with your family and hanging out with friends. Enjoy it and take lots of pictures. It's something that some of us sometimes forget to do. And make sure you're in some of them. That's one. That's my holiday tip this year. Take lots of pictures, but hand your camera off every now and then to someone else at the party and make sure you're in some of the pictures because I tend to take all the photos so I'm not in many of them so uh yeah you want to make sure that you have a record that you were actually there for some of this stuff I'm going to uh just share one last thing before I sign off I have a link up at craftsanity.com that I'm kind of encouraging people to make a big list or revise or just kind of revisit their their goal list for 2012 and so if you head over to craftsanity.com or visit the link that's called it's craftsanity.com backslash goals 2012 there I kind of talk about some of my goals I mean I didn't publish a full list there uh, I probably will soon in the coming days I'm encouraging people to kind of like make a list of things that they want to do and um, invite you to comment there and sometimes I find that if you announce what you want to do 
then it makes it like people seem to like rally around you. Like they want to help you get there. And maybe they know somebody who knows somebody that, you know, it does what you want to learn to do. Um, so it's kind of interesting the way that sometimes when you dream out loud and people hear what you're saying, they help you accomplish your goals. So I'm trying to create kind of a forum for that. So, and if you want to just publish it on your own website, all power to you. In fact, you should definitely do that. But I'd love to hear about what you're doing too. So if you want to post a link to the goal list you're making for 2012 and beyond, we can think bigger than, you know, just 2012. Um, some goals need, you know, you need more time to work toward them. And some things you just, you know, you only, only can bite off so much in one year. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear what you're doing because I know it inspires me to hear what other people are doing. And sometimes I forget. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to learn how to do that too. And then I put it onto my list. My list gets longer. So we can kind of get inspired by each other. And yeah, so I'm going to try to kick out a couple more shows pretty quickly. I like to keep the kind of the momentum going here and I'll work as hard as I can on that. And uh, I got to get to the holiday preparations here at the Craft Sanity headquarters because I'm a little behind, but um, I'll be back soon. Thanks so much for listening, folks. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays to you all.